This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? You are in charge very fast when things are worse. Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. I want to thank you, Veritas member, for making our truth journey a reality. Please subscribe at VeritasRadio.com to listen to all segments of tonight's interview and all of our material. And tonight, we have an extra segment. Three hours. And stop looking elsewhere. If you need MMS, you've come to the right place. You can also buy our USB drives with all our seasons and bonus material. Just go to the Veritas store for more information. And to get in touch with us for member support, media inquiries, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower, there's a link for you by clicking on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. Tonight, will take you on a journey into the history of the nature and origins of the movement towards a one-world government. Our special guest is a wealth of in-depth research and will explain the roles of the major arms of the conspiracy today, such as the Federal Reserve, the Committee on Foreign Relations, the CFR, the Trilateral Commission, and the Bilderbergers. We will trace the history of the New World Order, from the Illuminati and the fomenting of the French Revolution to the 1913 takeover of the U.S. government by the bankers, the world wars, the rise of communism, and the United Nations. 
The goal is the establishment of genuine world order, an order in which national sovereignty is subordinate to world authority. Did you know that in the Masonic organizational structure, the 33rd degree is the only degree that cannot be earned? It is conferred and is awarded by the Mother Supreme Council of the World in Washington, D.C. At one point, a disgruntled member, a lawyer with the name of Joseph Utschneider, dropped out of the order and was able to supply valuable information as it relates to their aims and goals. One, abolition of the monarchy and all ordered government. Two, abolition of private property. Three, abolition of inheritance. Four, abolition of patriotism. Five, abolition of the family through the abolition of marriage, all morality, and the institution of communal education for children. And six, abolition of all religion. For this and much more, in a three-hour edition, our special guest is David Allen Rivera. Coming up right now on Veritas. This is Ralph Epperson, and you are listening to The Veritas Show. David Allen Rivera has been studying and researching the New World Order and its relationship to Bible prophecy for over 30 years. He's also the author of the book titled Final Warning, A History of the New World Order. David has an associate in arts degree from the Harrisburg Area Community College and major in psychology and public policy at the Pennsylvania State University. As a young man, he was very active in grassroots politics, held various positions in the local party, and was the recipient of the 1979 and 1981 Outstanding Young Man of America. David's other research projects can be read in their entirety at his website. The father of three children, he has a grandson and lives in central Pennsylvania with his wife of over 28 years. And to learn more about David Allen Rivera, visit his website at www.darivera.com. And directly from Millersburg, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad to have David Allen Rivera here in Veritas for the first time. Hello and welcome, David. How are you? Nice. Uh, nice to be with you, Mel. It's my pleasure. And just before we started, folks, I was just commenting that in the past few days, I read David's book, Final Warning, A History of the New World Order. This is the kind of topic that you must explore, folks, because it really tells you where we are today. And to my surprise, I, I honestly, I didn't have the expectations that I needed to, to read this book, because to me, once I finished and I'm going to have to read it a few times. It felt like a college textbook, David. How long did it take for you to write this book? Well, what actually happened, like just to, in a kind of in a nutshell, uh, when I was growing up, uh, my mother started going to church, and I kind of didn't have a, a, a choice in the matter. I basically ended up having to go to church every day and twice on Sunday. 
And uh, so I decided, well, since I have to be here, I might as well get something out of it. So I basically would read anything I could get my hands on. And the churches at that time used to preach a lot of the hellfire damnation stuff. And they preached a lot about the Antichrist and everything like that. And I'd sit in church at eight years old and I'd kind of wonder, well, how can all of this happen? You know, when they're talking about Revelation and the Antichrist. And so I, I sort of started getting into conspiracy aspects of things just at an early age. I remember in high school, I started uh, studying the Kennedy assassination, and I really thought that there was something something there. I actually did a paper on it in, in college about the Kennedy assassination. So, so I was kind of predispositioned to, to you know, look at things like that. And then in 1978, there was a guy going around to all the big Baptist churches in the country, and or that would have him, I should say, and he was talking about this group called the Illuminati. And, you know, I somehow I got a hold of the tape. I can't even remember how I got a hold of it, but I, I actually still have it. And it can, you can actually hear it online. And, you know, it started it, it really seemed to solve the, the problem of how all this stuff could happen. Now, since that time, I, I really don't know whether he was who he said he was. I kind of think that he wasn't. But needless to say, I was exposed to the Illuminati at that age, and I began doing research into the Illuminati, uh, you know, around 1978. And when I get into something, I really get into something because that's really the only way to learn about something is to totally immerse yourself in it. So between 1978 and 1984, I, I kind of put this all together. And there was a Christian bookstore that I used to go to a lot. And I, I talked to the owner a lot. I told him that I was I'm putting together a manuscript about the Illuminati and the relationship to Bible prophecy. And I want to try to sell it to a publisher. So I showed it to him. He says, well, look, let me try to sell it down here for you. So he was selling a lot of copies down there. And needless to say, at that time, I really didn't have the name recognition or anything to be able to get a book published. So it kind of went on the back burner. But needless to say, I still kept on researching and doing a lot of uh, doing a lot of different rabbit trail searches into the various aspects of what the Illuminati was all about as far as the government and everything like that. And then when the first Persian Gulf War happened and they began to openly proclaim the new world order, I said, well, it's time. I got to do something else and bring this all back together again. So then I self-published it. Uh, on a wider basis, and I sold a lot of copies, and I had it you know, basically all over the country, and I still couldn't get it published. So I, you know, I said, well, I almost gave up on it. I, it during that time, I, got, uh, I put it on the Internet and learned how to do websites and stuff like that, and I had it on my website. And then I got contacted by a publisher back in 2004, and then that's when it was published uh, in 2004, and uh, so it's, it went out of print. And then in 2010, Progressive Press repu reprinted it. And so that's that's kind of where we're at now. So I've been doing research you know, for over over 30 years. But lately, since I finished the book, I've been getting more into the the. Bible prophecy aspects of it. And, and that really, when you look at Bible prophecy, it kind of explains everything that's going on and why it's going on. And yeah, and we'll look, we'll like to explore that because the way things are looking now, and even with the the recent events in in Syria with the Israelis uh, dropping those bombs there, sometimes I wonder 
if they are trying to, you know, we, we hear of self-fulfilling prophecies, but I wonder if they are fulfilling the script, if they are fulfilling the prophecy, but we'll discuss that in a minute. You mentioned the first Gulf War. That was actually, the, although it was not the first time the term New World Order was used, it's the first time to me that it became more of a mainstream. Is that is that an accurate statement? Well, yeah, the term New World Order goes back for years. I mean, Hitler even used it. And, it's, and there, there is actually books uh, about the New World Order. H.G. Wells wrote uh, a book about the New World Order, and he, he was involved a lot with, the, uh, with uh, socialism and one world government through his writings and was actually part of a uh, precursor to the Council on Foreign Relations called the Fabians. And so that term has been around a long time. And that's kind of, you know, when we talk about the Illuminati, there, there is no group called the Illuminati. I mean, there was a group initially in 1776 called the Illuminati. And, uh, you know, there was a time after that into the 1800s where it was outlawed. So the group Illuminati no longer exists. But we refer to it as the Illuminati because the finger groups that have grown out of that movement, we still refer to as the Illuminati just, uh, you know, just for kicks and giggles so everyone knows what we're talking about. But what was the Illuminati became the Council on Foreign Relations. And then the Council on Foreign Relations kind of became the New World Order. Now the New World Order is turning into global governance. And you mentioned H.G. Wells, Fabian Society, and for, for the folks who are listening, they know Cliff High from the WebBot. The book, actually, H.G. Wells' book was titled The Shape of Things to Come. It has nothing to do with Cliff High's work anyway. But let me also say that I'll try to encapsulate as much as we can tonight, but I think it would be impossible, David, be, I mean, uh, uh, David, because this, this book requires a full semester. It's so extensive. Well, there's a lot of information, and that's and that's kind of it's it's necessary to to set a firm foundation to understand the whole picture, and that's what I try to get into a little bit of every every single aspect that I could. That way, when you get a little bit of information on this, and then a little information on a little bit of information on that, and then you pull back, and then you look at the whole thing, and you say to yourself, you know, wow, there could be something to this because there's something in all these different areas that are that are concrete things. They're not. I don't get into all the black helicopters and and you know boogeyman around every corner thing. I I kind of I kind of am a little bit more pragmatic about it. And when you talk about like the uh, the Federal Reserve, I mean, that's a concrete thing. We, we can look back and see how that came into being. And, and then with the income tax and with the foundations, I mean, we can look at all these different things and we can see factually the things that were done to to that's leading to the bringing down of our economy today. And we'll definitely explore the, the Federal Reserve, because to me, David, this is probably the most vivid example of something right under our noses. And when you discuss the Federal Reserve with most common people, they look at you as if you're a conspiracy theorist, no matter how much evidence you give them to let them know that this is not federal and it doesn't have any research, but we'll definitely dive into it. Folks, I, don't, I really don't like to read a lot from a book, but because of the magnitude of the material that we'll discuss tonight, I'd like, David, with your permission, extract and, and read a few few things. For example, when we think of the New World Order, there's one name that comes to mind to most people who study the subject, Henry Kissinger. In an interview with Charlie Rose on March 23, 2007, 
Kissinger said in the last minutes of the show, quote, Yes, we are living in a period of tremendous turmoil now, but I think that at the end of this administration, meaning the Bush administration, with all its turmoil, and at the beginning of the next, we might actually witness the creation of a new world order, because people looking in the abyss, even in the Islamic world, have to conclude that at some point, ordered expectations must return under a different system, unquote. And he has made similar statements again and again, David. Well, he has, and he's been the, uh, I mean, obviously he's closely tied into the Rockefellers, and back when he was in the Nixon administration, I mean, he was almost looked at, and I think I remember there was a Newsweek or a Time uh, magazine cover with him with a Superman suit on, I believe, years ago. And, I mean, he was looked at looked at it because he had so much knowledge into foreign affairs and everything like that, but his he had an agenda going back to that time that didn't really have anything to do with what people thought it was, and, and, and really it was to, towards establishing the new world order. And that's the thing. There's been an agenda all these years. And, you know, I don't like Obama, but you really can't look at Obama because he's just representing an agenda. And it's that agenda that brought him to the forefront of power. So this agenda has been followed, you know, even before Kissinger, there has been others who have been following that agenda. So Kissinger is one of the major players. E- even today, he's very well regarded, you know, as far as foreign affairs. But he's still involved in various New World Order groups, and he's still very much entrenched in that agenda. I don't know if you know this. You probably do. But uh, there's an article that I read a few years ago. It's uh, U.S. National Security Advisor Jones gave these remarks at the 45th Munich Conference on Security Policy in uh, February of 2009. Quote, thank you for that wonderful tribute to Henry Kissinger yesterday. Congratulations as the most recent National Security Advisor of the United States. I take my daily orders from Dr. Kissinger, filtered down through General Brent Scowcroft and Sandy Berger, who is also here. We have a chain of command in the National Security Council that exists today. What does that tell us, David? Well, the, it certainly tells us who they're looking for for direction. And that very much is similar to the clip you've probably seen of Hillary Clinton uh, commenting at the press conference about uh, uh, being right up the street from the Council on Foreign Relations and that they didn't have very far to go to get their instructions. Well, one thing is to take direction as an elder, as an advisor. Another is to take orders. What kind of, of position does he have where our security, national security advisors take orders from him? Well, the thing about it is people, people need to understand that when, they, when, when somebody is elected president, they, they really don't have the knowledge about foreign affairs to really do the job. So because of that, they have to rely on organizations like the Council on Foreign Relations and the Trilateral Commissions because they have pulled people out of colleges and universities and, and other foundations and think tanks that, ha- that are schooled in the agenda of the New World Order. So these people are brought into a presidential administration and they're supposed to be advisors as far as what what our national foreign policy should be but they're not really looking at the good of the country they're looking at how we can get our agenda into place to do what we need to do as far as bringing this country towards socialism 
That's exactly right. And as I was saying before, the first time I ever heard the term New World Order was during a speech made by George H.W. Bush, former president, on September 11th, 1990. And this may sound irrelevant to some, but September 11th, 1990 was solar maximum. September 11th, 2001 was also a solar maximum, which was 11 years to the day of the incident of September 11th. What's your take on that specific time frame when he said that? Well, you mean as, as far as the solar activity? Well, not the solar activity. That's that's something that I just noticed co- coincidentally. But the fact that he was so persistent again and again, and he used the term New World Order, and we'll get there, and we'll win. He said that again and again in 1990, 1991. Well, the, th- the, the thing of the, uh, as far as the different terms that are used, everything is done incrementally. I mean, they introduce things little by little, and the, the whole thing was, I remember back, back during the Persian Gulf War, they came out with trading cards for Desert Storm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, it was, I just couldn't believe because at, at that time, I used to collect uh, football cards and everything like that. And then when they came out, there was like four or five different card sets of, of Desert Storm and the Persian Gulf War. And you could get gold foil cards or silver foil cards of the president and, and Colonel Powell. And, but the whole thing is they were connecting the term New World Order into something that was good, something that was positive, and something that had to do with with getting all the nations uh, to be a community of, of, of nations that for world peace. And that was just, uh, there wasn't anything negative about it. You know, we're not trying to uh, bring in anything of a one world government. It's just, we want peace. And this is a way to bring all the nations together and we can, we can have peace in our time. So. Yeah. And that's exactly the knee jerk reaction I had when I heard those words of uh, the meaning back then to me, represented a a new spirit of cooperation among the nations of the world in order to further the cause of peace. And peace is good. So therefore, this wouldn't be, I mean, the new world order should be good. So I thought, but you say not so fast. You say it was actually someone else who used the term back in 1915, right? Tell us more. Well, I mean, like like the the term has been used and I, there's actually uh, what I go through in the book uh, I go through a lot of different people that have used the term New World Order, and it has to do with mostly having a socialist leaning, you know, and, uh, and in fact, when you look at when you look at socialism today, you know, obviously that's linked to communism, but communism was wasn't really what they wanted. Communism was put into place for a reason because it was to the far left. Because we as a country were to the far right, and the whole idea was for the far right to go against the far left and bring it all towards the middle. An opposing force. Right. And, you know, if you look at a lot of the things having to do with communism back in the early 1900s, I mean, the churches had a lot to do. I mean, there was even the term socialist Christianity, you know, and the churches had a lot to do, and and, and the churches you could see uh, brought in a lot of the liberalism into the church that we see today, and you know some of the some of the uses of the term "new world order" had to do with the uh, with these socialist Christians and with uh, with uh, you know, other leaders at the time talking about a means of bringing people together, you know, for peace. 
And, you know, the whole thing was about stopping war. Obviously, after the First World War, people didn't want another war. But needless to say, you know, the you know, what ended World War One actually set the stage for World, World War Two. And uh, like there's a number, I mean, like as I go through in the book, I mean, there's been a number of, of terms or a, a number of times that the term New World Order and world order was used you know, through the through the 1900s leading up to the the first Persian Gulf War. And we'll even discuss how even during the American Revolution, both sides were financed by could we say the same source? But again, let me quote somebody else. This is Dr. Augustus. O. Thomas, president of the World Federation of Education Associations. Maybe we'll, we'll find out why the, there's a deliberate dumbing down of the educational system around the world. But this is from August of 1927. You would think this was said today. Quote, if there are those who think we are to jump immediately into a new world order, actuated by complete understanding and brotherly love, they are doomed to disappoint. If we are ever to approach that time, it will be after patient and persistent effort of long duration. The present international situation of distrust and fear can only be corrected by a formula of equal status, continuously applied to every phase of international contacts until the cobwebs of the old order are brushed out of the minds of the people of all lands. That seems to be happening right now, David. Well, it is, and that's the thing you mentioned about the educational system. The the what we know as a new world order or the Illuminati, the 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 war against us is on multiple fronts, and one of these fronts has been education. And with education, the whole idea was, and really the Illuminati started this with the reading societies and everything like that. And they needed to, and in, the, in these reading societies and the Illuminati and going into the Fabian Society, they got a lot of teachers, a lot of intellectuals. The whole thing was to, was to start indoctrinating the kids in the schools. And then obviously, once they indoctrinated those, you know, they would come out become teachers and go and, and just so the whole pattern was made to indoctrinate people and the whole thing with uh, with the they they wanted to get rid of nationalism you know they wanted everything to everything has to be global you know not nationalistic and so with that mentality put into place you know that's when they can start working towards uh, the various things that really that, that you can see in Bible prophecy, like the one world church, one world government and all that. And that's why that's why studying all this as far as the new world order really opens your eyes up to how all these things can happen, you know, that, that's leading up to now. Do you think that the formation of the League of Nations, now the United Nations, was the first attempt at a new world order, it seems, as you said, that nationality must rank below the claims of mankind as a whole. Well, I think actually the first attempt was probably back in the 1800s with the Congress of Vienna. I think that was probably the first attempt to bring the bring the world together, and that failed. But with the with the uh, League of Nations, yes, that was another attempt to to have uh, a, the one world government, and the United States prevented that from happening because luckily back at that time. 
you know, they just didn't have everything in place that they have in place today. And then with the United Nations, it just became a lot, a lot easier uh, because they've been able to pull the wool over people's eyes. And it's hard. You can't really look at the government right now as being bad, you know, like the federal government. You can't say they're the bad guys, but it's getting more and more like that because there are various groups entrenched within the government that are that are leading to all this, and soon the federal government was gonna, you know, is going to fall into place with everything that's going on. I mean, you look at the fact, you look at the fact of um, when they came out and basically proved that Obama's birth certificate was was faked. Yet nobody in Congress stood up to do anything. Now, why is that? And I think that kind of goes back to the Kennedy assassination, because I think they the Kennedy assassination, I think that's when this country lost its innocence. And I think people look back now and say, look, they publicly did that. And to assert their authority, basically, we can do anything we want and you're not going to stop us. So and I think that's why I think people just don't in Congress don't have the guts to stand up and try to do anything with Obama, he, as far as I'm concerned, he still has not proved he's an American citizen. And you just kind of wonder why, you know, wonder why somebody doesn't have the guts to stand up and say, but like, that's, that's the influence that the new world order has now because pe- they, they, people fear them. And of course, you don't hear anybody talking about them that they won't say so, yet they won't act independently to do something that is right. Well, you look, go back to uh, Woodrow Wilson and the passing of the Federal Reserve Act. He did it. He was totally pro to it. But later in life, I think that he may have regretted what he did. Same thing with uh, President Eisenhower. He was one of the responsible parties for the rise of, uh, that gave rise to the military industrial complex. But then in the end, he realized what has happened and that this this uh, uh, government behind the government, the military-industrial complex, was taken over, and he warned us. Then President Kennedy tried to do something about it, and he was killed. And right. now a- any new president, or as you say, a member of the of Congress or the Senate, they're impotent about, about that because they know what could happen to them. So what happened in November 63 was assigned to everybody else that came in the future. Would you agree? Oh, I would agree because Kennedy, Kennedy wanted to get rid of the CIA. Kennedy wanted to get rid of the Federal Reserve and, in fact, began printing up U.S. notes. That's right. Because he wanted – and actually, I've been trying to buy up some of them. They're kind of hard to get right now. It's the $5 bills. You have to pay $15 to get one. But uh, yeah, I, I, I have them because I like to show people, look, this is, this is what Kennedy tried to do. And and this is what got him killed. And one of the things that got him killed, there was various other things that he tried to do because he recognized what was going on. And and really, you know, that goes to show that there are some good Democrats around. So that's right. No, definitely. You know, like you say, there. You know, I'm I'm not trying to be left or right here. I think as of right now, presidents uh, presidents are selected, and they're simply puppets of the puppeteer. But take for example. Uh, uh, former New York Governor Nelson Rockefeller, and he told this to to the late great uh, Aaron Russo in, in July 2668. He said that at a speech at the International Platform Association at the Sheraton Park Hotel in New York, "quote As president, he would work toward international creation of a new world order." Unquote. So, David, if so many politicians have been talking about this for so long, why hasn't this happened yet? Or has it happened and it's right under our noses and we don't we don't realize it? 
Well, I get, I, I know people would ask me that a lot. And I think what has to happen, we're, we're, there are certain things that have to be in place before they can pull the trigger. And I think one of the thing is they have to get the guns taken away. And it's really funny where or because Obama lost this gun vote and he said that, well, this it's not over yet. We're still going to try to get this done. And yet when you look at the clip, he you know, back when he was running in 2008, oh, I'm not going to try to take your guns. You know, I'm not going to try to take your guns yet. That's what he is trying to do. And that's what they have to do in order for their plan to work. They got to get the guns away from people. And, you know, one of the things that uh, I guess I think in the planning stage for the socialistic government that they want, I mean, they're going to they're going to crash the economy. And I think I think they're they're artificially propping it up now. But I think they don't know if they want to go to uh, a hard currency or if they want to go to electronic currency. The rumor has always been that they're going to crash the economy and it's going to take like five old dollars to buy one new dollar. But the thing about that is they may not even want to go that route. They may want to actually move right into an electronic electronic technology where, you know, they don't have money. So and that's another thing that's the technology is not in, fully in place right now for that to happen. You know, I know me and my wife went to a, a diner a couple of weeks ago. And I, I basically use my bank card for everything. And right on the door, they said that they don't take car, plastic cards or checks or anything like that. So that that's not going to stand. In order for people to be in that economy, they're going to have to be able to be in, you know, take electronic currency, bank cards. And, and then once that's all happening, then they have a, a, a system in place that's going to offer the control that they want. So there's things that have to happen before they're going to fully be able to entrench themselves and, you know, into having the full control that they actually want and, and leading more into a, a police state. And it's, it's really something because I, I look at a lot of things on, on British TV and they seem to more get into the future of what it's going to be like at those times rather than in this country. And so it's kind of, I, I like to watch a lot of things over there because they, they seem to be more uh, on the cutting edge entertainment wise uh, as far as the future. But I think we're, you know, we're definitely going in that direction and Obama is definitely, definitely pushing us further and further into, into that direction. Cause you look at, I think, you know, if Romney would have got elected, it would have been a little slower, but with Obama getting reelected, it's, it's going to be a little quicker, you know, and you look at, and you mentioned before about when you talk about the federal reserve and people think you're nuts. And, you know, I, myself, I like uh, Ron Paul when he ran. And of course he talked about the federal reserve and people, like you said, thought he was nuts because they don't understand the whole aspect about things. So when you look at the whole ball wax, that's kind of the bottom line, people don't understand what's going on and they don't want to understand. That's why there's that's why there's so much distractions that are around, you know, sports and entertainment, all this stuff that, that that distracts people from what's actually going on behind the scenes. Absolutely. And speaking of Ron Paul, one thing I did not agree with was the fact that he wanted to audit the Fed. This has already been done. And the only thing we found, the only thing we, we were authorized, is Congress has absolutely no oversight or jurisdiction over the Fed, is that they uh, showed us their, their art collections and their office supplies. That's the only thing we could see. But I don't want to audit the Fed. I want to abolish the Fed. And you also mentioned cash. For years, I've been saying that I think the only reason why we haven't gone into a cyber money uh, 
times is because then you have the the illegal drug trade. How in the world would they transact? They need cash. But I just found out that what's really coming is that businesses that accept cash will have to have a special form of ID. Say you go to a store and buy $200 worth of, of an item. You will have to present an ID that they have to swipe and that transaction will register somewhere. You'll be able to pay with cash, but you'll be monitored all the time, which in my opinion serves the same purpose as a cyber currency. I mean, I've not heard that, but that, that's not to say that that's not going to be one of the steps that, you know, on the way towards, you know, we're, I mean, everything's going to be digital. Everything's going to be, everything's going to be monitored. I mean, that's the whole thing about, uh, about the future because this, uh, the, the government that's coming, the world government, they need to be able to monitor, you know, everything. They they need to know everything that's going on. And obviously, they can't do it. I mean, you know, when, when they have security cameras at places and they have people that's obviously watching those monitors and you can't, you can't, one, you know, you can't look at everything. You know, so what they do now is just they keep everything in place so they could go back and look at it later. You know, but I think that uh, I mean, I think even the Bible alludes that alludes to that, that it's going to it's going to be all digital because that's going to be the only way to truly enslave people. That's right. And as it is, people who get their Social Security number, they're they're labeled right there. That's that's the the collateral number that is used to pay the federal uh, income tax and the interest. But you mentioned President Obama. I will close Guantanamo. My administration will be transparent. He's the recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize. You know, a lot of those things just simply do not make sense. Right. And he got he got the Peace Prize with, without really even doing, doing anything. <laughs> you know? And like I said, that's, he's part of an agenda. And, you know, you know, you've probably seen the things on the Internet that they say he's the Antichrist and everything like that. Now, I don't know that I believe that. But uh, I believe that, however, when he's when he's uh, his his presidential days are over, either after the second term or the third term, <laughs> depending on who you hear, you know, he very well could become a leader in the United Nations. So- That's true. I've heard that before. Uh, but I'm always concerned about a president uh, president's second term because they know, oh, unless the law changes, and I've I've heard of a congressman or senator that keeps pushing uh keeps pushing the limits of of how many how many terms a president can be elected and, and he keeps doing that and he wants president obama to continue like chavez but uh, in 1972 speaking going back to the topic president nixon while in china in a toast to chinese premier chou enlai said quote they hope that each of us has to build a new world order. This goes back, and again, you know, Nixon was a pupil of uh, of Henry Kissinger too. And th- there we have it. We have China being a communist country, although it's a it's a marriage of capitalism and communism. Right. Why do you see China? How do you see China playing part in a new world order? Well, I think you know. I was I was thinking about this a couple of days ago, where uh, with NAFTA and the World Trade Organization, how a lot of business has gone over to other countries. And you know, I many years ago I saw uh, I don't know it was somewhere in in Europe where there was a lot of uh, factories, whatever, in this one particular town. 
And I mean, it was nothing but black smoke all over the place, you know, and it's like you, you wonder, you know, is that one of the things that they're trying to do and in, in having all this manufacturing overseas that they, they, they're trying to keep the United States clean? You know what I mean? That make it more of a haven. But that, that's just a, that's just an afterthought. But I think as far as China, you know, I think it, I think they they have been the Oriental people have always been considered uh, smarter than Americans, really. I mean, they're, they're played up to be, you know, more organized, better at this, better at that. They're more precise. They're they're more disciplined. And, I, you know, so I, you got to give the Chinese people a little credit, really, you know, as far as what they've been able to do. And I think, yeah, they're they're communists, but they're also they're not idiots. You know, and I think they've they've really done a lot to make themselves a world uh, a world power as far as the um, as the world economy. You know, but I believe that uh, you know I think the research over many years have shown that you know what is identified as communism there is something above that, and that's the international bankers. And I think this is something that the international bankers have been planning for many years as far as. As far as having a an even table you know, to to bring other countries up, bring other countries down, have an evening uh, an even playing field, so that they can uh, they can subject their their billions and trillions of dollars, uh, you know, control over everything to you know s- centralize you know, centralized control over the whole world. Because, I mean, the international bankers, they're all over the world. They're not just in the United States and they're not just in Western Europe. I mean, they their money is, you know, has influence all over the world. And I believe, you know, we look at China and, you know, we see we see China, you know, as far as being a world power. But I think it's, you know, there there's international bankers on top of them because they obviously had to get financing from somewhere. I mean, China didn't, you know, did, did they basically almost like exploded onto the scene. And I think you could see the same thing that happened after World War II with Japan. I mean, it was the international bankers that, that pulled Japan up and made them a major player in the economy. That's right. And, you know, right now, China holds our purse. That was unheard of decades ago. And I always think that it's very, it's strange to see the the, the biggest capitalist country in the world, United States, borrowing money from the biggest communist country in the world. That, that doesn't make, make sense to me. Well, we borrow money from them and then we give money to the Arabs. <laughs> that's right. You know, and that's, that's, and I said, you know, the people in this country, they don't have control. I mean, the government can literally do anything they want. You know, people worry about when they give money to a nonprofit organization and they, they found out later, well, you know, a majority of that dollar that you gave is going towards administrative costs. And so they hear that, well, why should I give money to them when my money's not even going to where I want it to go? You know, but that's the same way with you're paying taxes and your money's not going towards where you think it's going. And because the, the, the and, and really, the, you know, that's kind of one of the first mistakes that Obama did in borrowing money from China. I mean, there's other things that need to be done if you want to truly, you know, start working in our economy. So... Well, you know, let's go back for a second, you know, early 70s, 74, I think it was when Kissinger and Nixon met with uh, the Chinese for, you know, first time in a long time. I think that Kissinger was one of the architects of what we see today in China. 
and I think, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is China the template of what we will see in the future, if we ever see it, of a new world order? That was the beta test. We have you know, over a billion people all controlled under the, the, the communism and capitalism mixed at the same time, but where everything is organized that way. Do you see that it was a template to roll, that, to roll it out across the world? Well, I wouldn't really say it's a template because I really don't see the level of control in China that we already have here in the United States. I know I found out a couple of years ago there was a, and in fact, in fact, the the editor of Progressive Press had talked about he heard from me, uh, he heard about me because there was a book that was published in China that used my book as a reference, and that's how he found out about me. But there was a particular book in China. That, that talked about international bankers, and they were trying to uh, inform people over there about the existence of international bankers so that China didn't become under the influence of the international bankers. So they went, so this, this was basically, uh, you, know, you know, I guess it sold like a quarter of a million copies over there. So, uh, so people over there are aware, but I, don't, I really don't think that they, they have the control over there that uh, I mean, they're still really in a lot of areas in China. It's still sort of a backward nation. I mean, it's, they're really not you know modernized like the United Nations is. So I don't I don't really see it. I believe it's I just I just believe it kind of fit in their plans as far as you know. Like I said, because they're because they're a communist country. I believe that the international bankers. I mean, we know communism was created. You know, it, it was meant to be an opposing force. Uh, to democracy. So I think because of that, I believe the international bankers already had the control and, and I believe the leaders know it, you know, and I, you know, I think that talking about templates, I believe like uh, when they took guns from New Zealand and, and from England, I think that, you know, that also was used as templates to be able to take guns here, you know? So I think it's, it's a, I think they use various things for, uh, for, you know, test runs and trial runs to see how things are going to go. But I, as far as China being a template, I, you know, I just think they already had the control there. And, and because they're communists, I believe that already kind of brings in the level of control just because of the type of political, politi- political ideology. And as you know, gun control is such a polarizing subject these days. And, you know, I don't want to talk about my family and so on, but I have a history of my family being persecuted from Spain and then in Cuba, and gun control comes to mind. Then you have the Philippines. When Ferdinand Marcos came along, he gave everybody two weeks to hand uh, hand up uh, hand out their guns, or the death penalty would be imposed. And when you tell people to look at their history here in the United States, to look at the history around the world. The first thing that they tell is, oh, you used to just a conspiracy theorist, Mel. That would never happen in the United States, just like the German people didn't think it would happen there in Germany. Why are people so asleep in the United States to believe that this would never happen when our government has lied time and time again? Well, that's, again, another one of the reasons for the book, because people need to know what their government has actually done in the past and what it's leading to and that, yes, they very well can take away your guns. And that's what they want to do. And I, I write in a book about the survey that was done among the Marines uh, trying to find out whether they would fire on American citizens if they were taking away the guns. 
And it basically came down to that, no, our, our Marines would not fire on Americans. That's when they started bringing in peacekeepers from other countries because soldiers from other countries would fire on Americans. So that's one of the things that they're going to do. And there's, there's, there's been a lot of foreign troops training in this country for just that time. And I also believe that there is a lot of military equipment already pre-positioned all around the country uh, for just for just that thing. I, I was well, I was speaking at a conference a few years ago and one of the gentlemen I was speaking with uh, was at the Denver airport and he was on the elevator and he accidentally went down when he wanted to go up. And when the doors opened, as soon as they opened, a soldier came out and stood in front of him, but uh, told him he was in the wrong area. But before the doors closed again, he was able to look out and see tunnels that were all lined with military vehicles. And I think there's a lot of underground areas that are being utilized to hide military equipment. And so I believe that uh, I believe that the, the, those situations are being put in place. You know, some of the troops that are being brought back from the Middle East are being sent to areas around the country to uh, uh, to to do urban warfare training. Again, preparing for this particular time, and I think you can see with uh, with down uh, during Hurricane Katrina, one of the first things they did they took away everyone's guns, and I believe this was a test. And when you when you look at the the uh, news videos of that time with military vehicles in the street and military in the street, and it, well, you can even see in the bombing in Boston, you know, all the military and the and the police, everything that was up there. This these are examples of martial law that's going to happen in the future. So I that's mean, right. When our economy when our economy fails, and you know, and it's going to happen. Uh, you know, people don't get their welfare checks. What do you think is going to happen? There, there's going to be martial law because you're going to have a lot of people that's going to be hungry. I mean, well, that's right. That's right. It, it, you know, one of the things that worried me the most about this Boston event was so many people chanting USA, USA, once they found the supposedly alleged uh, uh, perpetrators. But, you know, they had martial law there for days. They welcomed it. To me... It sounds almost as if this this was a beta test to see what they could do if they rolled this out uh, nationwide. Where's Posse Comitatus? Right. Well, they do things for testing. You can look back at the the uh, oil crisis back was in 1973, That's and right. where you had to get uh, people had to get gas every other day, like odd and even and stuff like that. And when you look at the figures back at that time, we actually had more crude oil brought in during that time than before that. So it was all a test just to see what they could do. And you know, with Boston, you know, I mean, they, they, there was a lot of pictures I saw where, you know, you weren't allowed out in the street. And here in one of the <laughs> one of the major cities of the country, I mean, there was nothing moving in the street, no cars, no people, nothing. So this is what I mean, I do believe it was a test just to see you know, just to see how the people would accept what was going on. It was all the Hegelian dialectic, problem, problem, reaction, solution. But going back one, one more time to, to gun control, the reason why I'm, I'm passionate about this subject is not because I, I love to hunt or I love to kill, absolutely not. But I think that I should have the right to protect uh, my family and I. And also, if we lose the Second Amendment, I will lose this microphone, David. I'll lose the, the First Amendment right, the freedom of speech that we have right now. 
Yeah, and that's the thing uh, uh, that with the guy on uh, the guy on uh, uh, was it CNN or MSNBC? I forget. Pierce uh, Pierce Morgan was it Pierce Morgan? P- Pierce Morgan, correct. Yeah. yeah, I mean he's become one of the biggest advocates, and and I mean very nasty in his support. And you know he, he you know he has all the gun the gun pro gun proponents on. And, you know, he can't understand what they're saying, that the reason for the Second Amendment is is to prevent government tyranny. And he's one of the New World Order stooges. He doesn't understand how that's ever going to happen. You know, why would people have to worry about the government? Well, people need to worry about the government. I don't know if you saw the press conference after President Obama, uh, you know, understood that he was defeated when it comes to that. But somebody posted a picture of him kicking the door out of the press room, kicking the door. I'm sorry to say it, folks, but almost like a child kicking the door because he didn't get his way. I don't, I don't know that. Well, I know I, I did see a video with it had him uh, knocking the podium over and kicking a door. And I don't know if that's the one you're talking about, but I didn't see the one that if you if him just kicking the door, I did not see that. But now let me ask you, in the past, the media used to be, you know, more impartial. And, you know, in 19, what was it, 1983, 53 companies own 90% of the media. As of 2010 or 11, six companies, six companies owned 90% of the mainstream media. I remember back in 1991 when the first Gulf War was taking place, I believed every single thing that came out of CNN. CNN shined during that time. They were pretty much having the exclusive uh, footage day in and day out. And now realize that they were simply the Ministry of Propaganda. Do you see how the media has taken over being the Ministry of Propaganda? Well, yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, there's a, when you look at the membership list for the Trilateral Commission, the Council on Foreign Relations, there's a, there's a lot of media people in there. And of course, you know, b- back at that time, CNN was the first major news network to come out. So they got a lot of notoriety because of that. But, you know, people, people have always thought that they could trust the media. And if you look back, uh, like when, when, you know, Kennedy, obviously, you know, he cheated and had women and stuff like that. And the press knew it and they kept it a secret. You know, so the press back at that time was a lot different than the press that we have now and the media we have now, because these people in the media, they actually go to the Bilderberger meetings and they go to the, the various meetings for the Council for Relations and they're privy to a certain extent of this agenda and they're trying to do exactly what they're doing well you know we support president obama we support same sex marriage and we you know so you can see where uh, you know they've been indoctrinated and of course when they you know you know what happens to a media person if they buck the system you know they they get rid of them so they no longer have a voice that's right and uh, there's a quote and i i posted this audio in a show where i was referring to the same thing where David Rockefeller said during a, a Bilderberg meeting in 1991, quote, we are grateful to the Washington Post, the New York Times, Time Magazine, and other great publications whose directors have attended our meetings and respected their promises of discretion, discretion for almost 40 years. Now, tell me about that. Well, the thing about it is, is this is, this is an organization who is dangling a carrot 
in front of the media and these media people. And basically, you know, we'll give you we'll give you an inside information. You know, but basically all they're doing is feeding them the line that they want out there. You know, and it's you know, and it's part of the it's part of this distraction is that when you're watching the news, you know, how many people that you know they stay up and they watch the news every night, either at you know six o'clock or eleven o'clock or whatever, and they think they're getting the news when they're they're not being given the news. They're 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 been they're, they're basically getting an opinion, really. I mean, they're they're not uh, led on. I mean, it really you know, for for people to. To really learn what's going on, you have to really invest a lot of time. You have to look at alternative news sources. I mean, you have to really, uh, you know, uh, you know. I like to go on the websites in, in other countries and, and you know try to get a gist of what's going on because you don't you don't get the truth here. And I like looking at you know that's that's one of the good thing about blogs and you know people being able to put information in Twitter because you're getting you're getting direct information from people that are there that. That aren't giving their opinion or, or not giving the the line that they're being fed. I mean, they're actually telling you what's going on. And I believe that people need to understand that the the media is controlled, the educational system is controlled, the financial system is controlled, and more and more this control is getting entrenched deeper and deeper. And that's really the whole point of why I go into so much in depth in the book to explain all the different aspects. That's right. And what happened to the times when a journalist was allowed to go out there and do his or her own reporting. Right now, that doesn't happen. You probably have seen how a script is given to most media channels and, and they essentially read from the same script. They they have absolutely no leeway, no latitude to do their, their own investigations. But going back for a second to, to China, you know, I'm always thinking how maybe, David, World War III already happened. You know, we lost our industrial, our manufacturing base to Asia, and not even a, a bullet or a, a bomb was dropped. But you can go to, you know, places in Pennsylvania, in Michigan, you know, where we had a lot of manufacturing and it's all gone. Right. Do you think that China won World War Three? Well, I mean, I, I, I certainly, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know that I would, I mean, I would consider that a war, but in a general sense. But I believe that as far as a probably the industrial war, that's the industrial war. Yeah, I believe they won that. But that was all due to the international bankers. But really, if the international bankers willed it, I mean, that could change. I mean, it would only take a couple of years for for them to to, you know, rearm or, you know, uh, you know, take things to another country. You know, uh, the corporate uh, corporate structure is fickle. In this country, you know, and you look at the reasons why these countries, uh, these companies say they left our country, you know, and it's and it's all a matter of money. You know, it's it's you know, it's where they're going to get more bang for their buck. But but in a sense, I mean, in a sense, yeah, we we probably have won that war. And that's one of the reasons why you know, our nation is, is in such dire straits with our unemployment. And then now with you, when you add Obamacare into the mix as far as our unemployment. I mean, you have companies now that, that don't want to hire because if they, if they go over the threshold of 50 employees, they're going to have to pay for, for health care. And then the, the, the people that do have over 50 workers, they're cutting their hours back to below 30 hours a week so they don't have to pay health care. So that Obamacare that 
everyone wanted their the hope and change for. I mean, that's that's crushing the the workforce in this country. I mean, it's just it's just unbelievable that when you when you're and I'm I'm right now I'm unemployed and and in looking for uh, and looking for a job, I see there is so many part-time jobs where there right. didn't used to be before. And companies just aren't hiring now. They're making people that they already have do a lot more. So, and we're just we're discussing that at our forum today because supposedly the numbers just came out that unemployment is down. But I think I attribute that a lot to so many companies who are laying off employees and creating a lot of part-time jobs. So if he had a job before, now he had two jobs in order to make ends meet. Well, you remember uh, back when Bush was president and he was at uh, some some meeting somewhere and he was talking to somebody on camera and this person had uh, had three jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and, and Bush made the comment, well, isn't that, isn't that the American way or something like that? And yeah. like that was something to be proud about. <laughs> Ridiculous. You know, when, when, when I hear those kinds of comments, I just think, how in the world could anybody be elected? And then that's proof to me that they're just simply selected for a reason. Right, right. And that's the thing now. Uh, you, know, I, you know, I'm a conservative person, so obviously, you know, I have a conservative ideology. But, you know, when you look at the pedigree – that Bush came from, I mean, how could you expect him to do anything different than what his father did? And that's what a lot of people just, you know, uh, 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 George W. Bush came off as being being a Christian. He got he got that vote. But, you know, if you look at what he did, he did a lot to further the cause of the new world order. Definitely, definitely. And now let's let's jump in, jump into the the mafia that prints out the money, the Federal Reserve. You know, heavily armed, unguarded Federal Reserve Bank buildings throughout the U.S., they loan the money to the U.S. Gov government at interest. You know, I can never understand how mainstream population, and I've said this a few times when I was in college, during Economy 102, I remember vividly when I asked my economy professor to please explain how really, how banks create money. And when I started saying that I had no understanding how you could print money without anything to, to, to support it, to back it with, he basically became a little bit uh, irate at my questions because he, he knew where it was coming from. Why don't, why don't we see more in academia discussing the real purpose of the Federal Reserve? Well, that's the whole reason why the educational system is there is to dumb down the the uh, the people of this country. Over in over in um, uh, in Germany, I mean, even today, homeschooling is illegal in Germany. You know, as it was made years ago, and that's the reason because they don't want the people there to know certain things. And in this country, you know, you know, they're, you know, you're allowed to homeschool, but it's made very difficult. But our educational system is in place, you know, to only teach certain things. It's to create these, these good little citizens that, that are going to be support the government. We're going to vote and we're going to think we have a hand in what's going on and we're going to pay our taxes and we're just going to be good little citizens. But, and I, and I agree with you, in, the, in high school, we never, we never learned anything about the Federal Reserve. Yeah, we never really learned anything about what I call the dark side of history that's not taught in schools that you can only, you know, believe me, I've learned so much more since I've left school. And I remember even even when I was going to school, 
I felt like I wasn't getting a good education. When I, when I, I remember when I, when I was in eighth grade and I went to, I went to a city school and I just, I just wasn't, I did, did not feel, feel fulfilled in what I was learning. And I actually, I began skipping school and I would go to the state library when I skipped school and I'd go, I'd go sit in an aisle and just sit there and read books all day. And I did that for, for days and, and they never even said, they never even said nothing to me, but I learned so much more doing that. And, and, you know, and then in school, what I would do, I would do term papers where I would, you know, learn about things and try to learn what I wasn't being taught in school. And that's how I started getting in, getting into some of the things I got into. But the, the educational system, the public educational system, the free educational system in this country is purposely manifested to keep its citizens dumbed down so they don't learn about how the government really works and how things are actually done and really all the things that you think you're going on the surface is not really happening. Everything is happening behind the scenes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, now going back to president Truman in 1945, he said in a speech quote, it will be just as easy for, for nations to get along in a Republic of the world as it is for us to get along in a Republic of the United States. And then in 1945, Senator Glenn Taylor, Democrat from Idaho introduced Senate resolution number 183, which called for the Senate to go on the record as advocating the establishment of a world republic, including an international police force. So these laws are still in place, David. Well, that's the thing. After after World War II, you know, a lot of people were, you know, were really hungering for peace. I mean, they didn't want another world war. World War II was was a very, uh, you know, it it was, I mean, obviously, our country had never seen anything like that. And the, the amount of lives that were killed, the amount of the, the number of countries that were involved in that conflict. And, and after that all ended, I mean, people, people were willing to do anything for world peace, because just to, to try to ensure that that doesn't happen again. But the thing about it is, is all the wars that we've had in our history have all been, manu you know, had been artificially manufactured. And like you said before, you know, the, the same force was involved on both sides as far as the international bankers and financed both sides. So, I mean, think, things are being done. There is an agenda that things are being done by. And, you know, you know, if there's a if there's a war in place that they're that they're that they want to uh, put out there, it's going to happen no matter what, no matter if they're, I mean, the United Nations. I mean, there's been how many conflicts are going on at any one time in this world, even with with the United Nations. So the the United Nations has really been an ineffective organ for world peace. And there they are trying to control gun ownership around the world. And you know, some some people say they may ad, ad, adopt that here in the United States. There's this is a group of unelected officials making laws. So if they are not the epitome of the new world order, I don't know what else it is. But you know, after World War II, as you say, people were exhausted of the war mentality. But the windfall profits all these defense contractors derived from then, they needed to create something else. So what did we get? We get the Cold War. We didn't fi we didn't fire a bullet, but the the war machine was still there. After that's done, we needed to create another one. So we created the boogeyman, Osama bin Laden, Tim Osman, right there, a creation of the CIA from the Mujahideen times in in Afghanistan. And when that's over, 
What else is coming, in your opinion? Well, I think that I think that right now, you know, as far as a future conflict, I see I see the Middle East being the powder keg of what's going to be happening in the future. And I, I mean, and this, and this, you know, kind of goes with what is in the Bible as far as uh, as far as prophecy, you know, prophecy. And I, I really don't want to get into that, but I think that we can see all the signs that are going on now with the conflict that is talked about in the Bible. And I believe that uh, with Obama really is is anti-Israel. And I think, uh, and, and I believe, I don't, I think he's a Muslim. You know, I don't care what anybody says. I, I think he's a Muslim, and that's my opinion. But I believe, I, I mean, you can see the you can see the support of what what he's been giving to to the uh, to the Muslim Brotherhood and and to those countries. And you can also see where where the Arab Spring movement, uh, the purpose for that Arab Spring movement was to get rid of of the old dictators. The, yeah, all the old all the old leaders who who did not want to go against Israel. Because these guys said, look, we tried and we failed. So it's just we're, we're going to just get along. You know, we're going to just try to, you know, try to do the best we can for our country. Well, th- you know, the, the Muslims today don't want to hear that. They want to go against Israel. And Iran has been the, the leading proponent to, to try to push that issue. And I think that this, this is going to develop and keep on developing. And, and you know, at this point, you talked about Israel bombing Syria you know, and I, you know, the thing about it is, you know, I'm, I am pro-Israel, but, uh, you know, you have to look at the fact of what the Muslim countries are, are doing uh, against Israel. You know, you know, and you can also say, too, that some of the stuff that Israel has done to Arabs is not important <laughs> upon kosher either. But the, the thing about it is Israel has, is surrounded by their enemies. I mean, they're fighting for their life. You know, they've they've done what a lot of other smaller countries could not do. But I think that's where we're heading now as far as as far as a war. And and I believe that uh, I believe that Russia is probably going to get involved in this conflict, just as it says in the Bible, because if you look through the years, Russia has always been a supporter of the Arab countries. You know, they've given them equipment, they've given them technical knowledge, you know, so I think Russia very much has a hand in, in matters in the Arab nations. And, 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 and plus, Russia has been sort of silent, you know, in the last, you really don't hear much about Russia. And that's always been the case where they're kind of retooling, they're kind of, you know, they're, they're you know, they would go through a, a, a time of, uh, of, of war, a time of military activity, and then you wouldn't hear nothing, you know, and there, were, there would be some kind of conflict, you know, especially after they were involved in Afghanistan. Afghanistan, it took them a little while to, to come back from that. But, you know, when you, when you say... Well, they, they got their butt kicked there. Right, exactly. And it, and it took them a while to come back from that. But the, the thing about it is, is with, with, uh, with Russia... You know, the Cold War ended very quickly. And that's got to kind of tell you something. After, after the, the, the giant that Russia, the military giant that Russia was made out to be, I mean, they kind of, they kind of you know, went away with a whimper. You know, and they, they've, you know, you can see various quotes in the past from communist leaders that have said that, you know, we have to we have to bring these people along to make them think that we're on their side. I mean, they were an ally during World War II. 
you know, and, you know, and they, 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 they were. And by the way, many people don't, don't talk about this because it's embarrassing to many people in the Western world. But if he hadn't been for Russia, we would not have won World War II. Right, exactly. But the Russia, Russia was one of the big winners in World War II, you know, so they, they came out of that with, with, with quite a bit. And so I believe right now that, you know, Russia is, is sort of silent right now, but I believe that Russia is, is behind the scenes. There's a lot going on there and they're going to be a, a major player again in the future. No doubt. And I, I think you're referring to the Battle of Armageddon here. And what I see is, you know, wars are going to be fought at least before we enter a major conflict by proxy. We have China and Russia involved there, and we have Israel and the United States on the other part. You have Israel against, you know, the rest. But I have to ask you a question before we take a, a break regarding that area of the of the world. You know, we have Iran, for example, who is a signatory of the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. They say they don't have a nuclear weapon, and they're reporting, and they are signatories. Then you have Israel, who's known to have the Dimona facility, over 300 nuclear warheads. They are a non-signatory of the, of the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, yet they are demanding that Iran doesn't have a weapon. Let's say you and I move to a neighborhood and you have a weapon or you have a gun and you do not disclose this to, to your neighborhood. But then I move into the neighborhood. I don't want to have a weapon, but if I wanted to, isn't it my right? And then all of a sudden you rally the neighborhood against me. I just want to know why the double standard and why is it fair? Well, I guess, you know, Israel, I mean, you have to go back and, and look at the history of Israel as to that. That's been like how many wars have been fought over Israel. And I mean, it's a it's a miracle that they they were able to you know become a nation again. And, you know, I think that it's a matter of of because that ground has been fought over for centuries. I think it's just a matter of self-preservation, and and Israel really the the only time that they kind of threatened to use weapons was to protect their country. Whereas, uh, you know, it, with Iran, I mean, nobody's you know Israel's not threatening to to invade them. You know, there hasn't been all you know. I mean, look at the Arab leaders that said that we're going to push Israel under the sea and we're going to we're going to take over that land for Allah and we're going to do this. You know, that's not Jewish land and this and that. You know, and see, Israel hasn't done that. They haven't threatened. You know, they haven't threatened Iran. Oh, we're going to we're going to bomb you and we're going to take all your oil wells. You know, they haven't said anything like that. So it's it's a matter of self preservation for Israel. They're protecting their nation. They're protecting their land. And, and that's the thing. Every time, every time they would they would get into a war, you know, they would come out of it with more land. And the and the Arab leaders would would as well. That's not fair. Well, then why do you attack them then? If you want to never attack them, you want to lost your land. So that's well, but then I think a lot of it is the media in the Western world has taken out of context a lot of what uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad said when he said that he wanted to take Israel off the pages of history. And immediately we changed that here, saying we need to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. And at the same time, how did Israel you know, get that, that piece of land from the Palestinians? But that, that could be a, a, another show. But tell us once again how to get in touch with your work, buy your book. I mean, folks, this is an excellent book if you want to know the history of the New World Order from the beginning beginning until today. This book was written from 1974 all the way to 1996 and still is so relevant today. How can people buy it? 
Well, if uh, people are interested in buying the book, uh, you can go to uh, the uh, www.progressivepress.com, uh, who that's the publisher of the book. And actually, if you purchase it from the publisher, you actually it's on sale right now for fourteen ninety five. Uh, if you don't want to order from them, you can also order from Amazon.com, and uh, you can also get the ebook from Barnes and Noble. And we have links on our website. And you also have a website, right? And my website is www.darivera.com. That's www.darivera.com. And actually, I, I do have a, a, uh, a copy of the book on my website, but it's the, it's the full-length version, which is, is about 925 pages with 1,700 pictures included with that. And whereas the, the hard copy of the book is only the it's only part one of that book, but I have part one and part two on my website. And part two actually goes into a lot of the uh, religious aspects as far as Bible prophecy. When you say that this was the book I'm holding here, it's about over 350 pages long and it's a big book. And you said that the full book is on the website. Yes. My goodness, 900 pages. Folks, don't go anywhere. I'm here with David Allen Rivera. And when we come back, we're going to get deeper and deeper. We'll discuss how, how the United States was formed, how every single war is being financed to both sides. We're going to talk about how the, 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 the stock market in Great Britain crashed because of this information by the Rothschilds uh, when they said that... Uh, Napoleon was winning the war and all of a sudden that was a lie we'll get into this when we come back this is Mel Fabregas again I'm here with David Allen Rivera don't go anywhere thank you very much for listening to the first segment of this three segment three hour interview to listen to the next two hours head on over to our website at veritasradio.com if you're not already here and click on the subscribe button you'll receive your login immediately or less than a movie ticket per month You'll have access to hundreds of hours of valuable information. We'll take a short intermission, listen to the music of my friend, my very talented friend, Eduardo Tarilonte, who, by the way, if there's ever a Veritas movie or documentary, I hope he can create the score. He listens to our show and enjoys all these topics, and he's had his own experiences. You can buy Eduardo's new CD called Origins by clicking on the link on our website. We'll take a short intermission, listen to Eduardo Tarilonte's music, and I'll see you in the member section. Enjoy.
This is David Icke, and you're listening to Veritas.